0: Today we're talking all about the viability plans from GM and Chrysler. This is AutoLine. GM and Chrysler submitted their viability plans to the U.S. Treasury on Tuesday. Big, hefty documents with lots of details of how each company plans to return to profitability. They roll out their forecast for the industry, all the additional cuts they plan to make, and the kinds of new products they plan to bring out. But are their assumptions for the market realistic? Are their plans a rock-solid map of how to get back to sustainable profitability? And what about all those unresolved issues with bondholders and the UAW? Will Congress be persuaded to give them the extra money they're now asking for? Well, those are the very issues my panel of experts will be diving into today. Tom Walsh is the business editor for the Detroit Free Press. John Stoll is with the Wall Street Journal. And Jim Hall is a consultant with his own company, 2953 Analytics. If you wanna get a better insight as to where the domestic auto industry is headed, stay right where you are. We'll be back right after this. From our
1: studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is
0: John McElroy. Welcome to this edition of AutoLine Detroit, where we're going to be talking about the viability plans that were submitted by General Motors and Chrysler to the Treasury this week. And to help me figure out what those plans are all about, we've got John Stoll from the Wall Street Journal, Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics, and Tom Walsh from the Detroit Free Press. Tom, let me start with you. Uh, You've been reporting on these things ever since uh, these tomes hit your desk. What's your assessment of these viability plans? Is it enough to turn these com- companies around? And, and just as importantly, are they enough to convince Washington to continue giving the, gov- uh, the, the industry money?
1: Well, that's the, that's the big question. Is the, uh, is the government just an ATM that can be drawn on, drawn on indefinitely to, uh, un- to, to prop up the companies until the economy improves or until the companies are fixed? Uh, and, and then the question is, if the answer is no, It's not an unlimited ATM machine, which we hope it's not. Um, Who are you gonna have ride herd? Who's gonna be the trail boss on this this journey? Because the companies have made virtually no concrete progress on the conditions that were laid down by President Bush two months ago. They don't have agreements with their unions, they have some tentative agreements that still aren't ratified, and they don't have agreements with bondholders or anything else on concessions. We're a long way. The plans themselves, in GM's case, um, sure. Uh, It looks like they're doing a lot of cost-cutting. They're making it a leaner company. They're cutting down the number of brands. Uh, They've already got a lot of good product out there. If the market recovers some, there's no reason to believe that GM can't or shouldn't be a viable company. Chrysler's another matter. It's It's a different business model that they're proposing with Fiat. And they're even still suggesting that some sort of tie up with GM would be beneficial in the future. So I think Chrysler is more of a question mark.
0: Yeah, we'll have to come back to that too. But I want to get uh, your assessment, John. I've been reading all your stuff religiously in the Wall Street Journal. What's your assessment of these viability plans?
2: Um, Clearly, they're not sufficient because exactly what Tom said, they don't bring the stakeholders in uh, until we see bondholders, unions, dealers, suppliers alike having to make the sort of Tough concessions that they need to make to, to fix this company in the long haul. Viability plans um, will be too, you know, far too thin. Um, Tom and I uh, have been battling it out for years, uh, trying to be the first one to break the next uh, restructuring plan from GM, and and what they're going <laughs> to cut next. So we've we've seen them be able to shake billions of dollars out of the uh, cushions in in the Rensen. Um, the question is 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 it, it, are they going to be able to shake it out from, from bondholders who, quite frankly, uh, uh, would, wouldn't mind seeing this company uh, file for Chapter 11 Bankruptcy Protection Act? I, I don't mean every bondholder, but you've got a very big community that said, actually, we would prefer that they go that route. Um, in a union that is fiercely devoted to maintaining the, 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 the quality of life that they have maintained for their members for decades. I mean, we're talking about health care cuts that they have never seen before. And they're going to have to make some fundamental changes uh, if they're going to abide by the sort of viability uh, v- vision that Washington has for them. So no, they're not sufficient as, as, as presented, but there are a lot of reasons why, and I'm sure we'll get into
0: that. Yeah, we'll one. get into them. And Jim not, Hall, same question They're not supposed to be
3: uh, sufficient. This is effectively an update on where they are and it's also the thing that's going to open up a lot of dialogue between Department of Treasury, Department of Commerce, and the manufacturers that they haven't had to t- here before. It'll also, because they'll have the committee in place, hopefully by the middle of next week, there'll be more of a conduit. A lot of this is about negotiation. It's negotiation between the government and between the automakers. The other part of it is you have to understand when you start talking about the bondholders and the VBA, the deadline that the Bush administration had, had come up with is totally, totally Uh, unattainable because- March 31st deadline. Exactly. But the reason is, if you were to do this, you're gonna ask the bondholders to convert their debt into equity. After they say they will, assuming they will, then it has to go through legal channels for legal approval and then governmental approval through SEC. So that alone, that process alone, would have taken up the time logically between easily the 1st of January and the deadline. The same holds true for the VIBA. There are a bunch of legal things the VIBA has to do that are, have to be signed off by uh, legal people, both General Motors and the ge- governments want to get involved in that. And because it has ramifications for pension funding, that also has to go through some government approval as well, separate from the legal issues. So some of these things the administration did, it's pretty obvious. The administration basically said, you know, we probably don't want to be the administration where GM goes under, so let's just do something to get it out of our hair. And unfortunately, the, all the stuff that's been done everybody's thinking this is what's going to happen this is going to be the result this, the plans will say whether they will or won't be viable there's another round of negotiations we haven't seen the, the end of what the proposals are and for some reason people kept thinking this i mean i, I loved watching intelligence it's the final day no it's not yeah it's the first day
0: yeah, <laughs> a, yeah we're, we're not even at the end of the beginning yet tom what, what do you read into the fact that there is no car czar and instead it looks like we're going to have a committee running this whole restructuring effort I'm not sure, 100% sure what to make of it. Part of me thinks that they realize
1: there's a huge chance of failure with this thing. They, that, holy cow, these companies may well collapse uh, into bankruptcy and produce a lot of chaos. So we want to keep it pretty close. We don't want to delegate this off to some, somebody who's not really accountable. I think President Obama and Geithner and Summers want to keep this pretty close, and and really be all over it personally, as well as bringing some experts like Ron Bloom, the the uh, the labor and investment banking expert, and some others into it for advice. I mean, they're they're collecting a lot of data right now. I mean, I talk to people like Jim who are who are data aficionados about the industry, and they've been called by nice people from GAO with a 25-question list. Yep. So they're collecting a lot of information. And, um, but why not a single person? Maybe nobody wanted the
3: job either. There's another issue for why not a single person. There, you couldn't find a single person that could handle the two sides of the equation. Mm-hmm. Because as it was originally proposed by the president, he, it looked like he was gonna report to Capitol Hill now, that needs somebody with political savvy, the nature of which few people that work on Capitol Hill and have been there for 20 or 30 years have. They also have to have a working understanding of how the auto industry works and how business works. So you're talking about a guy who, who you know, you could find people that, that could handle one aspect of this perfectly. And then they would be yodeling into their sake two weeks after doing this on the government side, for example. And the, the vice versa, but the other case was true. There were people that understood how Washington works. There were some people that understood Washington and business at a very high theoretical level. They got to the auto industry, and these guys even said, you know, I'm sorry, there's, there's a steep learning curve here. And when you realize there isn't a single person to do that, you have a problem. And if you think about it, when you've appointed czars to things in the government before. I have not worked. Exactly, and usually it's because they're Drug done. Czar well, <laughs> <laughs> some of them, I understood, <laughs> decided to take drugs afterwards, right. but, um, <laughs> but the, the point is the czar position has this problem of it's tough. They, they tend to be done for political reasons, political pointees, yeah. and therein lies the first disconnect. This administration understands the importance of, of manufacturing in the United States. It does, and it sees two key parts of manufacturing automotive and aerospace.
2: And I think a key, a key issue here was conflict of interest as well. I mean, if you look at some of the people that had been discussed, um, you, you've got just too many, t- such an extensive web of interests involved. And, 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 and quite frankly, I mean, I, I think if you look at Ron Bloom, he is a guy that maybe, uh, for all intents and purposes, is uh, the closest thing we're gonna get to a carzar. He's a proven restructuring agent in a very complex industry. Steel is a lot different, I understand. My friends at GM are gonna say that they don't sell anything to the public, but they, are, they were uh, highly uh, tied to labor. Their costs were way too high. They had uh, overcapacity, Have we heard that before, and he knows how to deal with that. <laughs> and
0: Bloom was the guy who got and, uh, and played Bloom a major role a, in key
2: restructuring Key architect, it. key architect. Right. And, and the most important thing that I think he, he did was he, if you talk to Leo Girard, Steve Miller, or uh, 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 Wil, uh, Wilbur Ross, they're all going to say the same thing to you. He, he, he didn't tell anybody what they wanted to hear we've been in Detroit for a long time telling each other what we want to hear. And I think this is a person that's going to come in and, and probably uh, tell us exactly how well-dressed the emperor really is.
0: What's your sense of this, though? I mean, because you're going to have input from the White House, from the Treasury, from the EPA, from the Department of
2: Transportation,
0: the Department of Energy. I'm probably leaving a couple yeah. out. It doesn't sound like a very streamlined process to getting things done. But I
2: think, I think what Obama has effectively done is, is, is given Geithner a lot of that role. And, and I think that DOE has, has in, for instance, if you talk about these DOE loans, they are subject to what the Treasury says. Right. So we do have a, I think we have a more clear line of how this is going to work. The biggest fear in Washington right now is that this thing goes in front of Congress again. Mm-hmm. But definitely the biggest fear in Detroit, but in Washington as well, because it becomes a political nightmare. It becomes a Bob Corker, uh, Senator Shelby, and, and our own uh, senators Senator A major
3: issue gets basically reduced down to a series of political sound bites, and they all know that. They saw what happened
2: before. Yeah. So you, they you, want to avoid that. Exactly. There's no doubt. And there's, there's this thing called car fatigue in Washington now, where they're tired <laughs> of dealing with these issues. It was cute when it first came up, but really, do we continue to have to, to talk about this? We want to move on. Education. We need to talk about things that really matter to, 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 to constituents far uh, and abroad. And, and this is a very narrow issue for Washington to be so worried about. Not that well, it's not important.
1: Well, but the, but the difficult part of moving on is, is that all of the conditions and all of the debate is about costs and, okay, how can we become cost-competitive on labor and, and how can we get the cost of the bonds down when really 80% of this problem right now is a revenue problem. There is revenue, no re- revenue. Because and of and demand or cut, lack thereof. Somebody was walking through numbers the other day with me. says if, if they cut labor costs down to below all the transplants, they would save $2.3 billion dollars at GM, well GM's burning through $2.3 billion a month, not a year. I mean this is, the cost thing is is really small right now compared to the revenue problem and we don't know when the revenue problem is gonna get resolved.
0: what's your sense? How long is Washington going to stand behind trying to give money to the industry? dead silence.
3: <laughs> well, the truth is, if we knew it, I would be doing this via satellite from my private island in the, <laughs> yeah. in the South Pacific somewhere. But the bottom line with that is they, they said today, the, the president's press secretary said uh, that, the, that Washington is not basically an endless supply of cash for, for an ailing auto industry. Now, I think we all knew that. And remember that, that the administration wants these companies to be viable. That's what they really want, because then they sort of work And they're out of the equation. It's like, just make them work because they'll employ people, they will provide for the economy. The problem right now is consumer confidence. If you don't have confidence that, I mean, you think about it, I may lose my job in six or eight weeks, or you could say, my gosh, I've lost 50% of my 401k since November. You look at that, you aren't gonna spend money on a car. And the bottom line for the whole industry is that at a 10 million unit burn rate, up to probably an 11 and a quarter million unit year burn rate, this is a sick industry. And it's not just General Motors and Chrysler that's sick. It's Nissan, it's Honda, it's Toyota. It is a sick industry.
1: And it's not just the U.S. market that's sick now,
0: the whole world. Right. Exactly. And that's where you've had uh, offsets in the past that, okay, the U.S. was in the tank, but Europe was going strong and profits came back this way. And if Europe went in the tank, then Latin America was going strong. So you had something propping up the stool. And
3: for for the major Japanese manufacturers, by no small amount was the profit center for those companies North America. Right. Plain and simply. They made all their money here. Why well, went out most no, of their but money? But they made here. a giant chunk here. So as soon as we got you know, this is the classic example. If we got a cold here, they got the flu. So now we have what looks to be a case of bubonic plague, they're in trouble. And we've seen the reaction at Nissan. I mean Nissan is here and looked at it and went, Oh my gosh.
2: But I, I do think one of one of the issues that the Obama administration is getting to, uh, and this began well before uh, Barack Obama was even on the scene, was this question of, of flexibility. Uh, the reason we're not having this discussion about Ford right now is because they went out and, and and did the cash deal, but we could be having that discussion very soon about Ford. That's only part of the reason about and, Ford. And so, right. and with Toyota uh, and Nissan, uh, they have a lot of assets, but they have flexibility. They have what... Uh, and with healthcare, and and you can call it the Japanese government. You can call it, it, it. It's neither here nor there now. I think to answer the question of how long they will pump money into this uh, this situation here in Detroit, the real question is: Are they going to develop a policy that reaches way beyond Detroit, way beyond this part of the manufacturing sector, that speaks to the entire? mess that we have in the united states when it comes to health care when it comes to energy policy things that really we have seen neglected because we're in the heart of it here in detroit remember a couple years ago we were having a discussion in a radio studio about wow george bush met with the with the big three ceos for an hour today that's all the time that we got when we're talking about the central issues of the american uh experience here and not just what's going on in detroit and i and i do think that the optimism could could be centered around that maybe they're going to take some very serious looks at bigger issues in, in America. The today.
3: problem is this, is this is, to no small degree, a giant healthcare issue because when, and it's been this way for every auto US industry. At the start of the year, you basically have to clear off a lot of capital to cover your healthcare costs and, and healthcare pension related issues. Toyota doesn't have to do that. BMW doesn't have to do that. Volkswagen doesn't have to do that because they have a system where that's handled by the government so that's, that whole amount of money is taken out, they can use it for things. And that part of it also is affecting any business that has a legacy. The, uh, the, air, the aviation industry, the airlines have this problem too. They have tremendously high sunk cost in the form of health care. But if you try to turn this into a healthcare care issue, all of a sudden, because health is one of those incredibly polarizing issues in America. You know, either the C or the L word comes out if you're in favor of it. And it doesn't work either way. I mean, the bottom line is when you take that kind of money out of play for a company and you've been
0: doing it for, oh, oh. Uh, 40, 50 years, you have a problem. Yeah. Of course, none of this is going to be agreed to unless the parties, the stakeholders themselves agree to it. Tom, what's your sense between the bondholders and the UAW? Are they going to come to some agreement with General Motors by the end of March?
1: I'm not, I don't see the path to it yet. I don't, I don't see why the bondholders are going to give up their place in line and go to the back of the bus. for in return for stock if they believe that bankruptcy is likely or whatever we all know what happens to common stock in most bankruptcies
3: but we don't know their place in the line yet this will well, be a bankruptcy unlike any bankruptcy this country has ever seen well
1: exactly but the bondholders so far have not been incented to go that far and ron Gettelfinger, whatever he whatever he thinks is a good negotiation he still has to sell to a membership that, remember, the membership, if they followed their, the lead of their union and supported Barack Obama's election, probably think, well, this guy kind of owes us and, and he's going to take care of us no matter what happens. And we've given a lot already in terms of health care and some of these other things. And, boy, you know, everybody keeps beating us up. Why don't you go get the Wall Street guys and leave us alone for a while? So I think, I think not only is it a tough negotiation with Ron, it's a tough sell for Iran back to the members. So I, I don't know, especially on the VBA, that, um, that it's a done deal
0: that we will get there by March. And John, you said something very early on that the bondholders would actually welcome a bankruptcy. Explain that, I because my understanding is they could get wiped out in a bankruptcy. I think a
2: group of them would. Uh, they have a, a, a lot of leverage. That's why they call it leverage when you own the bonds. Uh, uh, the more that you have outstanding, the more leverage you have against you. And, they they would come into a bankruptcy situation with a bit of uncertainty because of where the government wants to sit in the capital structure. And without getting overly complicated about it, basically the bondholders would come in and expect something like 30 to 35 cents on the dollar, maybe. I mean, that might be a little high, much more than GM is probably thinking right now for their uh, out-of-bankruptcy swap um, with these bondholders. So what what you're going to see is this game of chicken. And we've heard this over and over again. Tom just referenced it. No, them. Cha- you know, we want to see them th- them change before we. I,
0: I see a big fight coming between yeah. the union and, and the bondholders. And I don't know how you guys think, it, but That's I think, what I, I see. I think the
2: bondholders hold a lot of power right now in the process because um, they they can define. They they are empowered by the treasury to do something. Uh, the dealers aren't. So the bondholders mm-hmm. are, have to be at the table. But what what, what we'll see what the bondholders. Um, have precedent in GMAC, this finance company that GM owned for a long time. They had to do a debt for equity swap. I don't know, 70% maybe said they would. And what did the government do? Okay, that's good enough. We'll fix the rest. And a lot of the bondholders are sitting on the sidelines Hoping that's going to happen again. Knowing that's going to happen again. Obama can't have an explosion in the auto industry on his plate in the first 100 days. And this we're still talking about the first 100 right. days. Right. And so they, are very, they have a very nice position right now. They, they aren't incentivized to move. They, they know how to move in a bankruptcy situation. Most of them have been through it over and over again. And they're not, they're not afraid of bankruptcy court the way that the unions, and GM is. GM is afraid of bankruptcy court. We've seen it with Delphi, big mess. Uh, the management isn't secure in that situation.
0: And Jim, question for you quick, because yeah. we're getting down to the end. O-E-S-S-A. Uh, and MEMA representing suppliers have yep. gone and said, hey, what about us? We need about 18 and a half million bucks, too. Billion. I don't hear billion. billion, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 18 and a half million, yeah, that's yeah, Trump change. Right. They could do it. And when I get used to billion, then I'll have to say trillion. trillion. But yeah. our suppliers going to get money? I don't hear anybody in Washington saying, yeah, we better help these guys out, or all the money we give to GM and Chrysler is money down the drain.
3: The way things are moving now, they wouldn't get it. They would get it in the fallout that the manufacturers are not doing a big deal trying to heavily renegotiate their pricing on parts because they know these guys are, are not they haven't got much to get to give anymore. I mean, you're talking about a stone now that's turned into sand. It's been squeezed so hard. And so I think that's the, the way it is likely for them to get it. Uh, something would have to happen with a major supplier basically saying we're going to file before. And the effect that would have, because that has that has this cascade effect on even the guys who are doing relatively well.
0: And, and Tom, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, we got to bring the suppliers into this this bridge loan bailout, whatever you want to call
1: oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the small ones are, are out there falling, you know, one every week or two yep. uh, already, the second tier and, and third tier suppliers. So uh, they have to be part of it, either in the amount that you give the big guys, uh, the OEMs. With conditions that it them up, down. Right with conditions that it flows down, but yeah, you gotta take the whole industry into consideration here, which drives the number
0: up, up, up. Yeah, well, it's gonna be fascinating watching this whole thing uh, unfold in the next few weeks. Uh, I think we've only just got started in these discussions. The, I think the viability plans are gonna be the starting point. They are. Not, not the midpoint. No. Well, not. if
1: you remember, and I, I wrote about this once or twice, the Chrysler bailout of nineteen seventy-eight, nine, 80 uh, that took a long time from, from September until it was June before they got any money. I mean, it took nine months, and this was one little company, mm-hmm. uh, $2.5 I think, was the whole amount of the loan guarantee. Right. Much smaller thing than we're talking <laughs> about here,
0: and we're on, I don't know what inning we're in, but we're not past the third or fourth, I don't think. Well, we'll be watching, but we've got to wrap up this discussion. I've got to thank all you guys for sticking around and, and doing this, and I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Look, we covered a lot of material in today's show, but we have a lot more of this discussion online. My panel joined me for a live webcast where we took questions and comments from viewers and got into a lot more details on these viability plans. If you'd like to see that webcast, we've got it at our website, www.autolinedetroit.tv. Look for it in the section titled Extra. We'll then be off the air for the next three weeks as Detroit Public Television conducts its pledge break. We encourage you to make your donation to the station. Then join me again when we take you deep inside of Tesla, the company that's making the electric sports car. I'll be doing interviews with all of the company's top executives, including the founder, self-made millionaire Elon Musk. Can he really make a business case out of all of this? Believe me, you'll learn a whole lot more about the EV business and what it takes to launch a new car company. But that concludes this week's discussion. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching as we strive to give you a front row seat as to what's going on in the automotive industry.